Good morning, dear people of God. It is a privilege to read his word to you this morning, with you this morning. Uh, and you'll find it comes from Romans chapter 3, one of the most recognized verses in all of scripture. My name is Carl Norman, and uh, my family and I have been joyfully attending embassy for a little over a year. We love it here. Let's read the word of God this morning. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amen. The word of the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, powerful passage um, that it just uh, has a, such an impact on our lives if we understand the full capacity of the gospel and what it has done. And as we've been doing in our series on atonement, uh, we've been dealing with some of those things. So I uh, really appreciate Carl speaking, I know, or reading. I know he's going to be speaking at the Dean now here in about three weeks. I'm really excited about that. Uh, I know he said his family, it's a joy to be at Mansfield Bible, but man, they've been a joy to have them here and get to know them. And if you're ever around uh, Carl or his brother or in that group, it's always laughs. So that's so I appreciate all of you guys and, and appreciate you this morning, Carl. Whew. All right. Let's, um, I know we just prayed, but, um, I've got to pray, so let's take a moment and, and pray, all right? Father God, just come before you. Um, Lord, I, I've, been, I've been praying since the early hours this morning. I've been praying as I think of this passage today. And God, I just ask that your spirit would speak to us this morning. That Father, you would... Just uh, go past all my own iniquities, my own sins, shortcomings, inabilities, all those things, Father. And Father, you would, um, your spirit would move in our hearts that we would have such an appreciation, a gratitude for what Jesus did in the work of atonement. And Father, even though we're dealing with a word that maybe some are not familiar with, that today, Father, we would be struck with the reality and the potency of the truth of your word as it relates to our walks. Let us, Father, not be complacent. Let us, Father, not just be a people who hear and walk away, but let us be, a Father, a people that uh, hear your word appropriated in our lives, that we are not people walking in darkness, but people who walk in the light of the truth of your word. So give us wisdom this morning. Give us insight. May your spirit 
move among us for your glory and your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus uh, goes to the Mount of Olives. He enters the Garden of Gethsemane. Bible says he withdrew himself. He kneels down and prays. This is his prayer. Father, if you are willing to remove this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. The Bible tells us then Jesus proceeded to be in such agony in this moment, in such earnest prayer. The text tells us that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. What a profound scene. Let that just soak in for a moment. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, about to face an incredible struggle. He's about to take on the sins and judgments of the world, although he did nothing to deserve it. This cup that he's about to take, the, this cup of wrath and of judgment, was a massive amount of pain and suffering for something he had not done. It is the cup of atonement. The death and judgment that Jesus would have to undergo in order that we might live. The agony wasn't just the, the physical death and suffering, but it was the judgment also that he would face on the cross and the weight of sins. Charles Spurgeon said this, I am never afraid of exaggeration when I speak of what my Lord endured. All hell was distilled into that cup of which our God and Savior Jesus Christ was made to drink. The message of atonement is so powerful, so life-changing. It will change your life and your perspective in everyday activities if you understand the full essence of what God did in the atonement for us. So we're gonna continue our series. We started, this is our third week, and we're talking about the four results of atonement. In the last week, we dealt with we deserve to die, sacrifice. We deserve to die because of the penalty of sin, but God in his grace and his mercy sent the Lamb of God, Christ, to be our sacrifice. He was God's sacrifice. Through his sacrifice, we have life. And today, we deserve to bear God's wrath, propitiation. It's a word that some of you are familiar with and understand the truth, and some of you aren't. So let's learn today, right? Let's learn. I'm telling you, if you were out there today and you had something physically wrong with you, um, and doctor, you just went to the doctor and he said, you've got this wrong, First thing you're going to do is go home and you're going to start researching it. It doesn't matter. If you don't understand the word, you're going to Google it. You're going to understand the word because you want to know what's going on. Well, let's do the same thing spiritually as well. Just because we hear a word we don't understand, let us grow in knowledge and understanding as it relates and applies to our life 
And so today we're going to be looking at propitiation. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 3. If you're already there, Carl did a great job reading it for us. We're going to be really looking at one verse, verse 25. We're going to be looking at five phrases in that verse and five questions. I'm going to kind of center it around five questions within that text. So the first question is what? A propitiation. If you look at it in verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation. The essence of what we are talking about today is centered on those two words. A propitiation. Right there in the text, a very important theological term that we need to know and understand. We need to learn it. If we're gonna learn how to follow Jesus together, we need to learn and grow in our knowledge and understanding of the scriptures and its application to our lives that we might learn to follow after him, understand these key doctrines. Remember, doctrine is simply the word mean teaching. These key teachings and the scriptures as they apply to us. So as always, let's try to get on board. Let's, let's define it. Let's try to define propitiation. So I have a slide there. I got it from Wayne Grumman, Grudem. I like sometimes he says things very simply that I can under, understand. A lot of times I was looking up some of these and they're three or four sentences long trying to define. But I like this definition. A sacrifice that bears God's wrath to the end and in doing so changes God's wrath toward us in favor. Think about that for a minute. Think about that. A sacrifice, the Lamb of God, we talked about it last week, sacrifice of God, what Jesus has done and he, in our place, he came and he turns the wrath of God away where he addresses it and changes it so that we don't experience the wrath of God. But you know what we experience? God's favor. That's massive. Think about that for a minute. When you think of propitiation, you think about God's wrath. That is what propitiation is dealing with. Where Jesus stood in our place and he took upon himself the wrath of God that we might experience his favor. That's amazing to me. So I asked this question and this is one of the things when I was thinking about this is, is why, did, why did God's wrath need to be propitiated on the cross? Why was that so important? J.I. Packer said it this way. He said, God's wrath is his righteousness reacting against unrighteousness. So God's wrath is his righteousness blowing away, doing away, destroying unrighteousness. Now, let me, before I get much further, let me, let me say that I, I was, uh, as I was studying this week, I was like, man, maybe I shouldn't have spent five weeks on atonement. Because when we're talking about atonement, we also have to talk about our condition before Christ, right? Without the grace of God. And none of us likes to talk about holiness and sinfulness, especially when we're on that side of sinfulness. And so I know that, it's, that, that talking through these things at times is, is hard. It's not easy. But if we grasp them, if we begin to understand them, it will totally change our lives and our understanding of the love of God. You see, when we talk about God's wrath, we're talking about his reaction to unrighteousness. Why? Because he's a holy God. It's his character. He can do nothing else. He cannot have unrighteousness in his sight. 
They just can't coexist together in the same place. I, I brought this this morning. I know some of you are like, Greg, when are you breaking out the hot chocolate, right? No. Well, there's nothing in it except one thing that I brought that was very important. Took me a while to kind of build it up inside this can. What I have inside of here is darkness. Pure darkness, okay? And what I'm going to do is in a minute, I'm going to open this can and I'm going to throw darkness over here on the wall. You'll get to see it here in a minute, all right? I'm just going to throw it over there, right? You ready? Watch. I do this with students when I used to do camps and stuff. It's always fun, but you ready? Here, now if I can get the lid off. There, did you see it? No, you know why? Because darkness always overcomes, I mean, light always overcomes darkness. Darkness and light cannot exist in the same space. Now, every illustration has its breakdown, but the same picture is true. God, in his holiness, in his character, he cannot exist in the same place where there's sin and unrighteousness. Cannot. His reaction to that is judgment. It's wrath. It kind of it illustrates God's holiness that we find in his, in his wrath. God's holiness shines so powerfully, it just destroys all sin in its path. God's wrath is not, now listen to this, because God's not like us. Don't make God like you and me. He's different than us. God's wrath is not an outburst of sinful anger, but a demonstration and display of his holiness and his perfection. In other words, his response to unrighteousness demonstrates that he's holy. God's wrath gives us a better understanding of the purity and righteousness and holiness of God. If God didn't respond to unrighteousness the way he did, how would we know he was holy? It is a holy God that we serve and is intense and he's intensely opposed to sin and he hates it. John Stout said this, God's holiness exposes sin. You know, it's kind of like, again, light and darkness, right? You walked in, ever walk into that garage or into that old shed and you turn a light on and there's these little things all over the floor that shh, right? Because, because as soon as the light comes on, it exposes them. God's holiness exposes sin. His wrath opposes sin. So sin cannot approach God and God cannot tolerate sin. It's his character. It's who he is. That's why in the Revelations, it tells us that not one clean thing, unclean thing can enter into heaven. Why? Why is that? Because God is holy and he's not going to change. He's not going to change his character. He's not going to just begin to tolerate sin because it makes us feel better. He is who he is. He's a holy and just God. And that's the beauty of what he does in the atonement, that a just God and a loving God comes together and answers this and delivers us. So God rightly hates sin. He's just just in doing so. And then as we begin to understand that, we begin to hate sin as well. I'm gonna to try to do something a little different. Can you imagine a God who didn't, hate sin, that was okay with sin? Can you imagine that for a minute? Just think about it. 
Can you imagine serving a God that just hated sin? He would be a God who delighted in sin. Wasn't bothered by it at all. Might as well serve Satan, right? We just get the same of what we got in the world. Can you imagine? Where would the hope of justice be? Where would the hope of glory, where would heaven be if sin was no big deal? If we just looked at it and just said, hey, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And that's kind of what we're doing in our, in our day, isn't it? Where we're, we're looking at and we're like, oh, to be inclusive, it's not that bad. Sin's not that bad. God is loving and he's just, he's just, you know, he's just okay with all this. He just loves us. But God in his righteousness and his holiness, he had to deal with sin with every single one of them. He doesn't just tolerate it, but he dealt with it. The scriptures tells us that our God is a God of perfect holiness and he will deal with all sin and evil when the day comes. And this is why propitiation is so important. Because again, you have the God of justice and the God of love who's choosing to send his son, Jesus Christ, demonstrating his love for us in our place. And when Jesus becomes our propitiation, the holiness of God expressed in the wrath of God towards sin was satisfied. And that's why we find favor and no longer wrath. That's why propitiation within the atonement is so important. The, a gospel without understanding what Jesus did in addressing the wrath of God towards unrighteousness is not a gospel. It fails to explain the depth of the atonement biblically as it relates to our lives. Look at it. Paul is making his argument here in Romans. If you go back to chapter 1, chapter 1 and verse 18. In chapter 1, verse 18, in fact, let's read 17 first because it says, for in it the righteousness, it's talking about the gospel, for in it the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So what Paul is saying is, as the gospel is proclaimed, Paul's like, hey, I'm ready to come preach the gospel to you in Rome. I'm ready to come. I'm ready to preach it. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation. And in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Hallelujah, amen, praise God. The righteousness of God is revealed. But when God revealed his righteousness, he also revealed his attitude to unrighteousness. That's why it says in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You see, in order for God to reveal his glory and for him to reveal the gospel and his purpose in delivering us, he also has to reveal his attitude to unrighteousness. If you look over in chapter two and verse five, Paul continuing this, he's, he's helping us to understand the importance of these truths. In verse five, he says, but because of your hard and impotent, because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up what? Wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God, God's what? His, his burst of anger? On the day when God says, okay, let's, let's just kind of let all this go? No, it says, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Because when God reveals his righteousness, 
There's an obvious response or reaction to unrighteousness. Look down in verse eight in the same, same chapter. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be what? Wrath and fury. There's, there's a reaction to unrighteousness because our God is holy and righteous and he can only respond to unrighteousness in a way that brings wrath. Not, not just a, an outburst of anger, but a, but a reaction whereby they cannot be in the same sight. Just as light and darkness can't be in the same space, God's holiness and unrighteousness can't be in the same space. And that's why we need Jesus as our propitiation. That's why I love chapter five of Romans and when Paul continues to carry out this argumentation in chapter five and verse eight, one of my favorite verses, but God shows, in fact, that word shows there can literally be demonstrated. I like that. I've always liked that word that God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now, verse nine, been justified by his blood, much more shall we what? Be saved by him. Saved by who? By him from the wrath of God. That Jesus would turn, he would turn wrath to favor. And today when I stand before you today, I stand in Christ and and I recognize the favor of God in my life. That when I approach the throne, I don't find judgment, don't find wrath, but I find mercy and I find grace. Amen, amen, amen. See, this is the answer to a righteous and holy God response to sin is the propitiation of what Christ has done. So the first question is propitiation. The second one right there is in verse 25, whom? And we know from the context in verse 24, it says, and, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom? So we know this is Jesus. It's referring to him. Jesus is the difference maker. You know, many times I drive in on a Sunday morning or I'm driving through our town. I pass churches and I'll start praying for those churches. I pray, God, may your word just be preached there. May people hear your word and your spirit move. But I'm, I'm almost always heartbroken on a Sunday morning because when I realize the percentage of people that follow after God in our community, in Mansfield, Texas, forget about the rest of the world for a minute, just Mansfield, Texas. The percentage of people that follow after God, who set their hearts on the things of God, is very small. Do you realize that? If everybody in Mansfield decided to come to church today, we wouldn't have enough seats. And take all the churches in the community, open up the stadium, open up some other places. We probably wouldn't have room. And I think, man, Jesus is the answer. It's who Jesus, it is Jesus who God put forward as a propitiation. He's a difference maker. He is the answer to the forgiveness of our sins. He is the answer for for hope, for life, for purpose, for meaning. He is what this world needs today. It isn't better politics, better economy. It isn't all of those things that we so much often pursue. It is Jesus. It's found in him. He has an eternal impact on who we are and how God works in our life. It is Jesus who is the answer for the path, the purpose, and the meaning of life. 
How do I know that? The very verse that moved my heart when I came to Christ, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one come to the Father but by me. That's what Jesus said. And I know I've had people tell me, but Greg, that's so exclusive, so limited, such, such a limited mind of understanding. And I go, I know. Because no one else can do what Jesus did. There is not another sacrifice. God doesn't have another sacrifice out there. It was once and for all. We saw it last week. Once and for all. And what did he do? He sat down because it was finished. And because of what Jesus did, we stand here today in the righteousness of Christ by faith. There is no other name under heaven by which people can be saved. There is none. Jesus is our propitiation. He died in our place. He, he, he answered and dealt with the wrath of God that we might have favor in his life. Man, I, I'm... I'm praying this morning for, if you're here this morning and I don't know, maybe you've just been thinking about Jesus, but you really haven't come to that place that today God's spirit would move in your heart. Maybe you've been playing games. I don't know what's going on in your life, only you and God, and that's where it belongs, right? But made today your heart hear the power of the atonement of what God has done for us that Jesus came and he drank the cup of wrath and became a propitiation for sin. And, his answer, and he is the answer. The question is, have you received him into your life? Have you received and accepted the gift of God for eternal life? You see, the power of God in our lives is so substantial. I walked for a time in my Christian walk where I never understood peace. I was always restless, always thinking, did God really genuinely love me? I wondered about the foolishness of my heart, the foolishness of my life. How could God accept me? And when you understand the reality of the atonement, it all washes away. Because in it, Jesus accomplished our righteous standing. So the third question, we have first what, a propitiation. Second is who or whom, Jesus. The third is God put forward, love. I love this phrase here in verse 25, whom God, look at it, put forward. God put forward. God put forward. The solution to our sin, rightly though we rightly deserve God's wrath and judgment, the solution is the love of God in the Son of God. John 10 says, Jesus said this, no one takes my life from me. No one. I willingly lay it down of my own accord. Hebrews 9.10 says, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit, now he's not talking spirit, he's talking Holy Spirit, he's talking about the spirit of God who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, to purify our conscience from dead works to serve a living God. Now listen for a moment. If you understand those, what was just read, God put forward, 
Jesus laid his life down willingly. No one took it from him. And he did this offering through the Holy Spirit, through the Spirit of God. Right there you have a picture of an explosion of God's love demonstrated through to us through God himself, through God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All involved, all involved in our salvation, that marvelous, abundant demonstration of the love of God. Man, that's massive to me. The greatest expression the world has ever seen, the greatest expression of love. I know so much we're trying to change the table in our culture today. You know what we do? We try to say, hey, we want to be inclusive. So what we do is we're going to love all these people. And that sin's not so bad. And we think that is more loving. But to me, the greatest example of love is that when God in his holiness and his righteousness could not exist in the same place of sin, but he loved us enough that he figured out a way to do that by sending his son, Jesus Christ, who was a propitiation for our sins, our sacrifice, that we would stand and be reconciled to our God, redeemed by the blood of Christ, and we stand here in the righteousness of Christ because of what God did. Can you name a better demonstration of the love of God than that? And we spend so much time trying to belittle sin when we must understand that God has dealt with sin. We don't have to do that anymore. We just stand in the righteousness of Christ, of who we are in Jesus. That's what God did for you at the cross. That's the power of what he has done. That was the only way a righteous and holy God could righteously deal with and pay for sin was, to was the sacrifice of himself in the person of his son. I mean, he couldn't look to us. We're sinful. He can't dwell in the same place. He couldn't condone sin and say, oh, that's not so bad. He couldn't do that. Why? Because of his character. God is God is going to act according to his character. He's a holy, just God. So the only way was to sacrifice his son. God put forward. Man, why would God do that? Why would God do that? I could only think of one answer. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen, people? Are you awake out there? You know what God just says to you? I love you. I love you. I mean, look to your person sitting next to you to say, God loves you. I mean, because that's true. God loves you. God loves you. The fourth question that he puts forth here in verse 25 is, is How? And it's by, the, by his blood or the payment. Look at it. He says, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. How was this accomplished? In the text, it tells us it was by his blood. Why blood? Why is that so important? I mean, it seems like just grotesque, right? So why is blood so important? Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11 tells us. Because it says, life is in the blood. That's a very important statement for many things today if you ever stop and think about it. So without blood, there is no life. So blood is life. The shedding of blood is the shedding of life. Understand that. 
The shedding of blood is the shedding of, of life. Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11 also says to us that blood makes atonement by life. So the principle of atonement is life for life. All those animals that went before where God passed over was a life for life that God might pass over until he sent his sacrifice, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. So Jesus gave his life that we might have life. It is his payment of life that gives us life. The blood of the Lamb of God, sufficient to save, gave his life that we might believe. Remember on that night, Jesus goes up in the upper room, the Lord's Supper. He tells them he won't do this again until he's with them in the kingdom. And he takes the cup, he holds it up, and he says, this is my, this is the new covenant in my blood. In my blood. Because in the very next phrase he says, which is poured out for many. Life for life. The atonement that you have today by faith, you have because of the life of Christ, because he gave his life that you might live. And that's so powerful. I wish we just could spend a couple more hours on that. The last question, look at it. To be received by faith, meaning now, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. You see, when you look at that, when you look at all five of those up there, faith unlocks every one of them. It's by faith that we receive Christ and the work of Christ in our life. It's by faith that unlocks our understanding that Jesus is our propitiation, that he stood in our place. We quit playing with all the foolishness of human wisdom and we understand the wisdom of God in his son, Jesus Christ, and that he took our place that he dealt with the wrath and judgment of God, that we might find favor. You begin to understand that by faith. Faith opens our understanding of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That we begin to understand who he is, fully God, fully man. And what he accomplished, it's by faith that we begin to understand the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's by faith that we embrace the unending, marvelous love of God. So many times the reason we don't understand God's love is because of our lack of faith. Because we judge God by what he does. Oh, he didn't fix this problem I had. He didn't do this. He must not love me. And yet we miss the greatest demonstration of love that has ever been in the history of humanity in the sending of his son that he demonstrated his love once and for all in Jesus Christ and he made it known. It's by faith that we see that and we embrace it. It's by faith that we receive Christ in our life and accept the gift of grace, the payment of our sins. It's by faith, not by works. We can't do enough, but only by faith. So as we, as we wrap it up, my question for you this morning my question, have you received Christ into your life? Have you received Christ? By faith, have you received the atonement of God and the work of his son, Jesus Christ? Listen to these words again. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift 
through the redemption that is in his that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Powerful words. Powerful words. In a minute, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and the team's going to come and sing and we'll have folks over here at the front that if you want to pray, you want to have someone to, maybe something God said that you want to pray with someone about, we'll have some folks just right over here on the front seat. You can come up after the service and pray with them. Share with them. Let them, let them bear your burdens in prayer with you. All right, let's pray. Father God, we just come before you this morning and I pray, Father, that your spirit would just, would just move through your people. Now, Father, maybe we came this morning and we've, we're feeling a little discouraged and, and Lord, that we come to the realization of the expression of your love and the demonstration of what your son did in Christ Jesus. Father, every great revival that has ever taken place, it's when the people begin to realize your holiness, your majesty, your glory, and our insufficiency. And when we cry out to you, asking you to just to deliver us and to save us, and you've done that through your son, Jesus Christ, true revival really begins. It's there that we begin to learn to walk after Christ. It's there when we put off these things that are not of Christ and we put on Christ. May you, Father, just speak to us. May your spirit at will today work through us that we might grow in your love and the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.